Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and really excited for today's guest, Kareem Melian, uh, co-founder of the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. And I'm really excited to talk to Kareem because she's got a really interesting story. Um, she's doing some great things in the sports industry, and I want to uh, provide the example of, of what she's doing and that you can go wig- work for you know a big company within the sports industry, and then you're also able to branch off do something entrepreneur, do something great for people, have a great mission, um, and still impact people. So, Crane, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited. I may be more excited than you are, Jake. <laughs> that's hard. That's hard to do, but I'm, I'll take it. Um, so let's let's uh, start off with uh, where you started uh, your journey, and that was a, uh, as a student athlete. Sure, but as a veteran first. So I um, actually played golf in high school, which is not very popular, especially if you're a a woman of color living in south of Atlanta. But I competed. I never, people assume I played basketball, but anytime basketball season rolled around, I was like suspended or in trouble and I could never try out for the team. So (laughs) Uh, golf and softball always fell in the seasons where I wasn't in trouble. So I always competed in those. So I've been playing golf since I was seven. But uh, I, I played basketball in Germany. That's where I was stationed. And when I got accepted to the Air Force Academy prep school, I got the opportunity to uh, play basketball there and then become a basketball manager at the Air Force Academy. So you eventually made it to Bemidji State, right? Is that correct? Go Beavers. Go Beavers. All right. Yes. Yes. My former teammate at Air Force, um, she had the opportunity to uh, be an assistant coach up there. And she asked me if I wanted to come up and help the team. And being someone that take risk and don't really say no to anything. I was like, sure, why not? A girl from a uh, first generation American of Haitian immigrants from Miami who lived in Atlanta. I'll go to Bemidji, Minnesota, the second coldest city in America. No problem. <laughs> what it, when when you know if you think back to high school and someone would have you know told you five years later that you or four years later you'd end up at the Midji State what would you think you would have told them I probably would have laughed in their face <laughs> no joke like I no I was I knew I wasn't gonna go straight into college because I was graduating at 17 and I was like I would get kicked out my first semester Um, But I I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to be a political science major. I wanted to be the next Condoleezza Rice um, and be a pilot. And that's what I thought my journey was going to be. Retire in 20 years, go teach ROTC by the beach. And that was going to be my journey. So at what point did you have that aha moment where you realized you weren't going to be the next Condoleezza Rice, you weren't going to be a pilot, and you weren't going to... Uh, be living at the beach well you could still you could still live at the beach after you're retired but um, where you know what was that aha moment for you for me um, my dad passed in 2008 and that kind of took me for a loop at that point I realized that if something was to happen to my mom um, I would be I'm the only person left here in America with her and I didn't want to be somewhere around the world and I couldn't get to her And so I left the Air Force Academy, became a bum for about six months, and started coaching high school softball and basketball here at uh, Forsyth County at Central Forsyth. 
And I realized that sports is, I've always wanted to empower the next generation. When I was in Germany, I was coaching the high school JV basketball team and the little traveling softball team. So I always had a knack for um, not just teaching, but empowering, especially the girls as they use sport as a vehicle for change. Shout out to Adidas. There you go. And so then, and then you got the opportunity to uh, become part of the Vol family, right? Lady Vol for life. I um, actually was working a basketball tournament here in Atlanta, and I was that person, like, if you needed stats, I was going to get you stats. If you wanted to know the kid's mom's favorite color, I was that person. And I ran into Tasha Butts, who at the time was at UCLA. She's a former Vol. And she just was like, if this is what you want to do, I'm going to help you. And she just put me in front of people and she introduced me to Dean Lockwood and Holly Warlick. And from there, I kind of finagled my way to um, get an interview with Coach Summer and Holly for a class project I've created. I basically made up an excuse to interview them. And when the time came, I, I just told them, I was like, hey, I have the, the GI Bill, so I don't have to worry about someone paying for my school, but I love to come out and hang with you all as I finish my master's. And a couple of weeks later, she gave me a uh, Holly Warley gave me a call and said, hey, our GA just left. Would you want the opportunity? And I didn't I wasn't sure if it was a question or not, but I graduated from Bemidji State May 15th and I had to start in Knoxville, Tennessee, May 17th. So. I drove my little Honda Civic through a blizzard in May uh, to get to Knoxville and start start um, doing what I did and and for the Lady Vols. Wow, that I mean you had to make up some real time to get from North Dakota to or Minnesota. I'm sorry, Minnesota, North Dakota, that area, that region. So serious, yes. Yeah, so, Bemidji is about four hours away from Minneapolis, so it, I think it was about a 17-hour drive. Um, and my, and my mom was like trying to be cute and was like, let's use a map. So we got a paper map and (laughs) use that to get from Bemidji to Knoxville. Wow. So you get to, you get to Knoxville, you're working with Pat Summit. Um, at what point do you realize like, wow, I, I I could really work in sports. This is, this is what I really want to do. I was so grateful that I got opportunity to work in a, a program that really empowered women. You know, at the time, Tennessee was one of the few schools left that had a separate women's athletic department. And so with Joan Cronin leading the helm, I got an opportunity to sit in meetings and understand that it was more than just, you know, wins and losses. And I remember Pat saying mm-hmm. that I, I used them for four years. I expect them to use me for the rest of my life. And that's when I, that was really for me when I realized that you could do more in a, in a person's life than, than coach them up and get championships. I mean, hearing the stories, Pat was a coach for at Tennessee for 38 years and the stories of, of women and hearing what she had to put up with, you know, pregnancies and people wanting to leave and anything you could think of she had to deal with. And she was the person that if once you graduated, if you were coming to Knoxville and you didn't stay at her house. She was giving you a hard time. She she expected you to, um, you were part of the family. That was it. And I always tell uh, former Lady Balls that you should never be without whatever job you want, whatever opportunity you want as Lady Ball. You should you should be able to walk into that door and and at least get your foot in the in the door, sit at the table. You have to do the rest of the work. 
um, but because where you were and because of what Pat built, um, you were set up for life. So set up for life, you know, part of that probably had to feed in a little bit to the mission and, um, you know, helping found the uh, winning led winning edge leadership academy but first you had a pit stop at espn and yes what, what was what was your journey like at espn and, and what were some of the lessons you learned that eventually got you to where you are now you know at espn it's the worldwide leader and for me it was never like oh i grew up watching espn i want to work at espn it's my lifelong dream it was kind of a byproduct of being a lady ball and whatever you want to do you can do and the director of operations knew someone at the Las Vegas Bowl who connected me with um, Clint Overby down at ESPN events. And I had the opportunity to, they essentially created a position for me to work with their uh, basketball events. And, and I had the opportunity. But what came with that, I realized a lot of times walking into a room, whether it was with my team or conference leadership or ESPN leadership was that was the only person that looked like me. And not only was I someone, um, a woman of color, but, you know, being a former student athlete, being a veteran, being a former student athlete, there weren't many of those in the room. And I realized on top of that, I was teaching at um, Johnson C. Smith University and HBCU in Charlotte. And I realized a lot of my students who were juniors and seniors, I was teaching sport management, didn't they all wanted to work in sports? Everybody wants to be LeBron James agent or um, the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys, but they didn't have experience. And when I was at Tennessee, there were students who had been working in the athletic department since they were freshmen. And I realized that my students were essentially four years or more behind their peers. And um, I had the platform and the and uh, the opportunities to create experiences and I wanted to do that and that's kind of I remember that night I was sitting in Boca Raton Florida launching the Boca Raton Bowl and Maria I think she was in Las Vegas working the Las Vegas Bowl and we started having a conversation and I was like this is something I really want to do and she was like let's do it let's let's combine our forces her platform and my charm to create opportunities for the next generation of diverse leaders. So you partnered with Maria Taylor and, and um, what was that process like, you know, starting it from scratch and ultimately creating what you have already today? Yeah, this is when Maria was a baby on ESPN. She was on SEC Network doing SEC Now and baseball games and all these things. And um, she we just got together and we cussed each other out and we made each other cry, creating this nonprofit, you know, from the paperwork to become a official 501c3 to creating our bylaws and our mission statement. We did it. Uh, she'll tell the story. She went and got a nonprofit for dummies book. And we literally <laughs> used that as a guide to create what we have today. And it was essentially going to be something we did on the side, like a hobby, like something we did that turned into a movement, essentially. And so what was maybe those one or two things that kind of stood out to you as you were beginning that journey um, or kind of that, as you were talking about that aha moment in which you knew that it could really become a movement and something bigger? When we started to get the attention of our colleagues at ESPN and at the time we're, so ESPNU, SEC Network there in Charlotte and they host ACC and SEC Media Days. And 
we just happened to know the person who hired the volunteers for that. And they never really had a lot of um, minorities serve in that role. And we were like, we have the bodies. Um, let's start giving them the opportunities. And our, we, our kids started showing up. We had a ton of kids from Johnson C. Smith show up. And this was the first opportunity for them to really see what sports business was like from the inside, not just watching on ESPN. And for a lot of our peers as well, it was the first time for them to see like a, a big old group of young people of color coming in and, and putting in work like that. So that was like when we realized that we had something. So for those who are listening, um, they may be trying to get into the sports industry. They may be in the sports industry already trying to, you know, learn something new, get, get better, um, move up within the industry. And for those who don't know what the Winning Edge Leadership Academy is, can you kind of give a brief overview as to uh, what, what your mission is and, and what you're trying to accomplish in the near future? Essentially, we are identifying, attracting, and developing the next generation of diverse leaders in sports and entertainment. And so it's not just about let's have this event where we sit around the fire and have a kumbaya moment and tell them they can do anything, um, but it's about taking that next step and connecting them to industry professionals and a network that can provide opportunities, whether it's working the SEC football championship or working a NCAA tournament or just anything to gain experience. At the end of the day, it's about the experience on your resume, your network. It's not about who you know. I mean, it's not about what you know, but who you know and who knows you. So we wanted to make, we wanted to take away a lot of those obstacles. A lot of our students are student athletes, first generation college students. And like for myself, working in sports, my mom, nowhere in the Bible did it say Jesus played. So she didn't do, she didn't do sports. It, Jesus wept, he fed children. He washed feet, but he didn't play sports. So if I wanted an internship, my mom couldn't make a phone call for me. You know, I didn't have a cousin or an uncle or somebody who could make a call. And so we wanted to kind of be those uncles and moms and dads for our students, for our game changers is what we call them, as they started to, um, as they started their journey into the industry. And so you call them game changers. It's it's one of those uh, terms that's used uh, it's starting to get used a little bit more within the industry, but what are some of the qualities that you're seeing those game changers have as they do uh, gain some of those opportunities and, and experiences within the industry? They're so grateful. They're just happy. Like, again, a lot of our, our game changers are student athletes and they're used to performing on the field. They're used to like maxing out in the weight room. Um, but they're not really used to having someone provide feedback to them on work that they've done or having to complete tasks like that or having to take the initiative to create a project or complete a project. And so a lot of our game changers we see when they get the opportunity, they're just so hungry and they're a sponge. They want to learn everything. They want to talk to everybody. And I mean, that's that's part of what we're trying to do is make sure they don't embarrass us because we're essentially Maria and I, we're putting our name on, on their, on their brand. So they, we tell them don't embarrass us out here in these streets, but they want to, they want to do good, you know, especially um, the elite athletes. They want to, they're used to winning and they're used to performing well, and they want to continue that um, in the professional development space. And they want to recognize, they want to be known as more than just an athlete. You know, we hear it a lot now with, 
um, all these professional players talking about being more than an athlete. We want to start that early. We want them to understand that process before they even graduate, that they can be productive citizens in the industry. So as, as some of those student athletes are preparing to make that transition or they're preparing to just start to think about, okay, what's next? What do I want to do? Um, you know, that transition's coming at some point, right? Uh, whether it's right away or um, down the line, even if they were to go pro at some point. Um, what are some of the pieces of advice that you give to them in terms of the transition and how does that advice also apply to really any student that's making that transition from college to a career? From a student athlete standpoint, I always say as a former recruiter myself, you know, we go into your home, we tell mom and dad, we're going to develop Susie into the whole person. So hold your coach accountable. If your coach doesn't know what you want to do, that's on you. But at the same time, your coach should be using their network. I always say, if there's an offensive lineman on, at Alabama who wants to be an accountant, there's not a, a CPA in the state of Alabama that is telling Nick Saban, no, I'm not going to provide an opportunity for them. Make sure your coach knows what you want to do so they can use their network. And it starts even in the recruiting process. If you, if you have an idea of what you want to do, make sure your coach can start identifying those opportunities. If you want to be a broadcaster, who are former players or people who've gone through the program or in their coach network that they can introduce them to and use their resources. That's probably the biggest advice, whether you're a student athlete or not, is it is using your resources. Um, and it's not just about what your resource can do for you, but how can you help your resource and make sure that any and everybody you talk to knows what you want to do, what you're passionate about, because the more people that know uh, what you're about, the more help you can get. And I have, knock on wood, I've never had to apply for a job. I've always had opportunities presented to me from my mentors or from my network because I've been consistent in what who I am and what I want to do, and they've known. And when those conversations come up at the coffee table at the bar, and they're like, hey, we're looking for somebody to do so-and-so, they can say, oh, you know, I know so-and-so who's really passionate about that, or they did a project on that, or I think you should give this person a chance because they've shown pro promise in that. And so the more people that know what you want to do, the better. And just like I tell people all the time, ESPN was my first full-time job in sports, but I was doing a lot, so much stuff before then. I was working for AAU team, doing who was doing social media for a seventh grade girls basketball team? Nobody, but I was. And it just so <laughs> happens that that team had Ken Griffey Jr.'s daughter and Antonio Davis' daughter and Kevin Witted daughter. The team was stacked, which helped me in my career, but I was willing to do the things that nobody else wanted to do. Um, but then also making sure that Ken Griffey Jr. knows what I'm about. And so when the time comes, he can put in that that recommendation for me. Sure. Well, and it's, you know, you're also taking advantage of those opportunities when they do come about. But there's probably a process. It's not just like it pops up one day in your lap and then all of a sudden, like you hit the green button and you're good to go. Right. Like you're constantly right. staying in touch with these people, but intentionally and strategically, um, you know, also figuring out what you can do for them, how you can provide value to them. Um, you know, everybody's birthday two way street, right? Yeah. Everybody's birthday is in my phone and I, and I get a two week notice and if I catch it in time, I try to send them a, a little birthday card or, or something in the mail. Cause that's so overlooked and overrated that 
if you can, if someone can open a birthday card from you or just like a happy engagement or congratulations on your Hall of Fame induction, that means so much more than that like on Instagram or that random comment of congratulations. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not huge on social media. I like post and jump out because it's like crazy, but I, I follow the people who are important to me. And when I see that they're excited about an opportunity or an accomplishment, I make sure to reach out. And it's not, sometimes it's a text message, but sometimes it's a phone call. And I think um, so many people are afraid of that one-on-one interaction um, that I, I, I embrace it. I'm like, I am going to call Antonio Davis and say, congratulations on your appointment to the MBPA position, you know? And, he, you know, it may only be a two-minute call, but he's going to remember that, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, that's a great point about the communication um, styles and, and ways in which it's probably rapidly changing right over the last 10, 10 years and will continue to rapidly change as to how people communicate. But to also never forget that those phone calls, those, you know, the written notes um, can impact the people in the right way. You just got to know the person that you're trying to uh, create and build that relationship with. Yes. And it's important to be genuine. Like, I don't try to, I, I try my hardest. It's getting harder and harder being a, being the leader of a nonprofit, not to reach out to people when you need something, but I try to just keep in touch. And even if it's like, I just, this more, or yesterday I texted my friend, I know she had a baby. She was a panelist at our retreat last year and I know she just had a baby. And I just said, Hey, how are you and the baby? You know, like that's, that takes nothing. That's a three minute text message conversation. And it's easy again to like on Instagram or comment on Twitter, but it takes a little extra effort to to reach in your contacts and, and send that genuine message. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let's pivot real quick as we kind of start to wrap up the episode, but I want to talk about um, being a female in sports and, and continuing to uh, build upon your opportunities and your experiences and what advice you might have for those who are trying to get into the industry um, and ultimately how to, how to approach things um, from an opportunity standpoint. I think it sucks being a female in sports. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I mean, I think it's, it's not easy. I think any woman in sports can tell you that there are going to be those people that say you, you like, you just trying to find a man or you're dating someone on the team or whatever. But if you know your stuff, and I tell people all the time, too, like, Maria puts a lot of effort into what she does and into her brand. Like, you know, she, I think she'll tell you that she wears black intentionally to make sure, like, this is not a game to me. I'm not here trying to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to do my job and to be consistent in that and to make sure, like, every day you're you're consistent and you know what you're doing and you take pride in what you're and what you do and understanding that yeah you have to put a little extra effort no you may not be able to uh, skate by like joe does but at the same time you may not get the same attention that joe does because you are a woman so what are you going to do with that attention are you going to squander it or are you going to take advantage and, and make the most of it and i don't know joe Joe may be cool or whatever, um, <laughs> but I just know that from my experience, it's like, if you're going to get that extra attention as a woman in sports, what are you going to do with it? It's it's what opportunity are you prepared to take advantage of, right? 
Yes, and preparation and intentionality is like my favorite words and being prepared for any opportunity. If someone is going to say, hey, I need someone to take stats, I'm that person or I'm going to find that person. And not everybody's is willing and ready. And even even now, like Maria and I, we get opportunities a lot now that our platform has grown where people reach out to us and say, hey, we're looking for um, someone to work at our school in media and more often than not, we say, sure. And we reach out to people and they either don't respond or they say, hey, yeah, I'll send you the stuff. And they don't send the stuff. And it's like, were you really prepared? And then there's some of our game changers where like anytime opportunity shows up, they're the first to respond. They go in and they kill it. And those are the ones that make the impression and, and make a difference, not only for themselves, but for the organization that they're going into. And so as you continue to impact people, you know, as you look five years down the road, what's the ultimate goal for the academy and, and, and what you guys are trying to do? Yeah, we want to be a resource um, for employers. If you're looking for that next big candidate, especially if, if everybody's looking at diversity and inclusion and Me Too movement and you're trying to check boxes, that's fine because that's that gets us in the door. Um, we want to be a resource for you to find those candidates. Um, but before, we want to make sure that we're developing them and that when they come into the organization, they are rock stars. We want to, when there's AD positions open, we want to be someone who's there aren't search firms right now that look like us or are uh, represent candidates that look like us. So we want to eventually get to a place where um, we can identify those that top talent to come into an organization and and be a value. All right. Well, I got a question for you, and and I want to go back to the very first part of the episode in that we were talking about you being a political science major. Or in or wanting to be a political science, um, yes, uh, as a career. I'm a sustaining um, NPR member, so. <laughs> how 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 much do you continue to think about what you wanted to do versus staying in the present, um, focusing a little bit on the future, focusing a little bit on the past, but really uh, creating some boundaries for yourself and focusing on the current state. Um. I've been fortunate enough and, and honestly, as I, I have been able to reflect back, that I've kind of been in the same space. Um, Facebook has a tendency to, what is it, the when they remind memories. you of pictures? Yes, memories. Yeah. And I remember when I was in high school, I was the person that hosted the pep rally. You know, I was the person that hosted the first dance we had at our high school in a long time. And it's like that thinking back, you know, I've been hosting events for a long time and they've just now, they've developed into having more meaning and becoming professional development experiences. So I have been someone that despite, you know, changing majors and stuff, I've been pretty consistent in the work that I do and the work that I put out um, because it's who I am and it's what I'm passionate about. And I, I don't have any regrets, you know, the journey that I've taken has led me here and the experiences, you know, I've, I've lived in Europe. I've been to more states than my mom could count. And I've met people and done things that a lot of people from where I'm from couldn't only imagine and dream of. And it's kind of allowed me to sit in, in any room and have a conversation with anybody. It's something that I pride myself on. I could literally talk to anyone. I have this dream of 
me sitting next to someone wearing a MAGA hat and making them laugh. Like, that's how confident I am with just my ability to to talk to anybody. And my experiences, my journey have, have a, um, prepared me for those. No, that's amazing. And I, I do want to point out one thing, because as you were you were speaking at BDSE at, at, at the National Sports Forum, you, you talked a little bit about how you go out to the lake with your dog um, and you make time for the couple things in your life that mean the most thing, you know, the most to you and that you, you know, you make priorities. Um, what, what kind of values or, or, or what, in, um, what was instilled in you, you know, as you were younger to be able to, to come to that conclusion uh, of, of committing to stuff like that, uh, that you do now and ultimately focusing on the things that, that you want to focus on and not what other people want you to focus on. I'm sitting outside right now with my dog, actually. <laughs> um, so I think for me, it was, it was actually something that happened later in life when I was at Tennessee and I was, rec- I was, you know, the main focus of my job was recruiting. And I remember my mom asking me, so I need to come to Knoxville on an official visit for you to talk to me. And I realized that that was the moment I needed to find some balance. And um, I think now I have branded myself as someone who who um, embraces that balance, that people understand, like, after nine o'clock, if you text me, I'm not going to respond, you know, in the morning. Um, if you call me, if you just happen to catch me before 10 a.m., I'm going to be at the lake. Um, and being consistent with that and letting people know like that's part of my life, you know, travel eating good food is a part of my life. And I incorporate, I, I welcome people into that lifestyle with me. You know, I try not to have too many meetings in a room with a table. I try to have as many meetings at a, one of my favorite restaurants here in Atlanta. And we're going to have good food and drink good wine and have a great conversation. I'm going to get you to donate money or provide an opportunity, <laughs> but I'm welcoming you into my world instead of trying to fit into p- other people's world. Cause I, I'm just not about that life. Um, it's funny because I think in that sense, Maria and I are total opposites. She's very high profile. I don't think she's worn the same outfit twice. Whereas, <laughs> whereas me, I don't know the last time I went shopping, you know, like whatever clothes I got in the closet is what I'm going to have. I may steal a couple pieces here and there from Maria, but for the most <laughs> part, like if I post something on Instagram, today you might see the same outfit two weeks from now and that's I'm okay with that I'm not gonna buy into whatever uh stereotypes uh that I'm supposed to buy into because I I don't have time for that and that only causes more stress than anything so um and that's and that's allowed me to find peace when you're chasing something that you have no business chasing that's when you find stress and I think that's what has provided a lot of stress for young people nowadays is the social media and trying to keep up with the Joneses and stuff. And it's like, for what, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, Kareen, inspiring. Um, really excited to, you know, continue, um, you know, tracking kind of what you guys are doing with the Academy, um, seeing it grow. Uh, excited for your sports biz camps camp in Atlanta in, in July um, in the summer. And looking forward to having you on again soon. Yes, I can't wait. You're doing an amazing job. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't let anybody change you. Don't let these sponsors come in here and change the message. Um, but I think it's important. Like, it's just too easy right now to conform. 
you know, especially with the cancel culture and not wanting to piss people off and be politically correct. I mean, it's funny. Sometimes I go into a room with people that I know and they say, like, when they introduce me to people, they're like, oh, Corrine's going to tell you if you're not, if you're <laughs> like, I've, I've gone into someone's house and they've had cotton on display. And I'm like, you can't be having black folks in your house with cotton on display now. <laughs> Don't you can't do that. But that's I mean, that's I'm consistent with that. That's what you that's what I'm going to get. That's what you're going to get from me. Um, and so I appreciate that more than when I was working for a, a big box brand like ESPN, where you have to like say the right things, do the right things, wear the right clothes. And it's like, that's too much work. <laughs> you just got to be yourself. You just got to be yourself. Be um, yourself. I know it well, sounds cliche, but it's, it's, it's where you find happiness is being yourself. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm staring at this uh, painting and it says, think positively, learn actively, play more, be yourself. So it's fitting. Yes. And I play a lot. Like, I think more, I think people think um, when I go speak or when I'm traveling, the things that they see me do is play because I incorporate play in my work. I try to, it, it makes things more relaxing. It makes people more comfortable. And it's what I'm, it makes me more comfortable. I'm not as social, I'm not a social butterfly as people think. I try to make uh, situations as comfortable for me as possible. And I can do that at, at a golf range or at a bar or at a French restaurant. Play to your strengths, right? I mean, yes. play to your strengths and be yourself. Yes, so. yes. So I, this was an amazing conversation. Looking forward to many more. And hopefully people understand that. It's it's more than just about you. You don't have to build a school in Africa to make a difference. Sometimes it's just taking the time. I'm a Georgia Tech season ticket holder for women's basketball. And uh, I, I bring kids with me to the game. And we sit courtside and we talk. You know, that, that means more to someone than that 15-minute, hey, what can you do for me kind of thing. 100%. 100%. Go Yellow Jackets, right? Yes, because – they were not supposed to do as well as they did this year. And I'm so happy. Like the whole staff are, are my mentors and they showed up for me all these years. And this was the way for me to show up for them. So um, it was interesting being a season ticket holder for a women's basketball team. I, I was a Hornet season ticket holder before. Um, so definitely a different experience, but I embraced it and we were winning games. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Try something new. That's the message of the day. Yes, yes. So thank you so much for inviting me and, and giving me the opportunity to share our mission and, and share what I'm about.